An investor's investor. Weird. Always thinking. Smart. Thoughtful. Unconventional. Hi, I'm John Lukumnik. Welcome to Outside In, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals and anyone else who values different thinking. What does that mean? Well, we interview fascinating people from Shakespeare scholars to financial data scientists to see what the financial community can learn from non-traditional sources and from traditional sources thinking in non-traditional ways. We're breaking down the silos which too often surround the financial community. Come, listen to the sounds of those walls collapsing. Today on Outside In, we're pleased to have as our special guest, Carol Leckel, the Chief Executive Officer of Domini Impact Investments. Domini, founded by the legendary Amy Domini, is a pioneer in the socially responsible investing world. Let me put it this way. Amy didn't just start a firm. She and a few others, including Carol, started an industry. Carol was there at the beginning more than a quarter of a century ago. She and Amy formed a dynamic duo that continues to keep Domini true to its mission to this day. That mission is to harness, quote, the power of finance to help create a better world with an exclusive focus on impact investing that aims to help create positive outcomes for our planet and its people while seeking competitive financial returns, end quote. I can't wait to explore how Domini does that. In addition to her responsibility to Domini, Carol's a founding member of the Investment Advisory Group for the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board and has been honored for her work as a Global Angel member of 100 Women in Finance. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, John. appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about Domini today. So what's your origin story? Before we get to Domini, let's talk about Carol. If my research is correct, you were trained as an auditor and worked as an auditor for eight years. So in the early 1990s, did you just wake up one morning and say, hey, let me give up my nice established career to join a startup investing firm doing something new called socially responsible investing. It doesn't seem logical, but trace that journey for us. How'd you become the person you are personally and professionally today? Yeah, so there was a bit of that hard moment, but there was a lot that led up to it. So, you know, I um, graduated high school and I started college, which for me meant I needed to find a way to pay for it. And uh, man, money was always tight. So through loans and scholarships and two jobs, you know, every semester I would breathe a sigh of relief that I had conquered yet another tuition bell. But through that constant struggle of money, when I entered college, I really just had one goal, and that was to make money, preferably a lot of money. So on the advice of a professor who pulled me aside and said, hey, you're good at accounting, you should major in it. I was like, oh God, accounting, why would I do that? And he said, and that was the hook. Oh, it pays well. I said, okay, so, so I went over to admissions, changed my um, major, and he was right. It was a very clear path, graduating college, I went to public accounting, and life began unfold with this plan that made sense to my goal of making money. I earned my CPA license, I got married, I received some promotions, 
I had babies. And what I found was that it was really just after a few years, say eight years post-college, you know, obviously on work, a lot of discipline, but was surprised that I had achieved that goal because in my world, making a lot of money actually meant being financially secure. And when I found myself with my college loans paid off, earning a nice salary, had purchased a home and saving for retirement, I realized, okay, eight years out of college and I had achieved that goal. But all of a sudden, I found myself searching for something more, which would be what would this career where I was going to pour hours and hours and effort in decades into, what would be the more that I would leave on the world? And that was where I realized I had sort of gotten myself into a pickle, that I was this nerdy accountant and I was hoping to have impact on changing the world, making the world a better place. And it was, I think, a bit of faith that about that time, Donnie's prospectus came across my desk and it had a starfish story on the cover. You may have heard of it. Sometimes it's told with a father and a son. Amy Domini, as our founder, feminized it. It's the story of a mother and a daughter walking along a beach and it's littered with thousands of starfish. And the little girl is running along, tossing them in one at a The mother taps her on the shoulder and says, don't bother, dear. It won't make a difference. And the little girl looks at the one in her hand and says, it will to this one. And that short story on the cover of a mutual fund semi-annual report really amplified for me that every small action, every individual take can make a difference. So I was pretty excited because I was the mutual fund accountant. And now I had learned that there was an investment fund that had a set of values that went strictly beyond financial considerations. And Domney's goals of universal human dignity and ecological sustainability, alongside of those competitive returns, became the answer for me on how a nerdy accountant could help change the world. So I was happy just to be in the back room, writing prospectuses, doing annual, semi-annual reports. I joined Domini at the founding of the Registered Investment Advisor as the financial compliance officer. I later became the chief operating officer and then the president and then ultimately the CEO. So I'll just sort of summarize it by saying, you know, working for a company who has a core mission to make the world a better place is invigorating on a day-to-day basis, a year-to-year basis, a decade-by-decade basis. You never tire of it. And Domini's mission became my mission and really became the answer for how a nerdy accountant can help change the world. I was going to ask you about working for a mission-driven company um, and what it was like, but I guess you've answered it that it's invigorating. And, and Dominic's thought leadership continues today. Your bond fund, for instance, was recently honored as the Environmental Finance Fund of the Year. But I got to ask you about maybe, it's not the dark side of it, but an interesting side of it that's not positive. Despite that long and storied career, Dominic only has about two and a half billion under management. Now, on the one hand, two and a half billion dollars is a lot of money. If I had it, I wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast and doing something else. But on the other hand, in today's world, 
Dobney's a relatively small asset manager. So a couple of questions. What's it like working at Dobney There's that sense of mission and it's probably, is it an intellectual space? Are people happy and challenged? Or is there frustration that after this long and this much hard work and this much reputational um, celebrity, there are more assets under management and the material benefits that come with that? Probably fair to say it's a little bit of both, right? So I think we are very lucky in that our voice, our ability to be with impact, given our small size, right? I think we can say our influence outsizes pretty substantially our assets under management. We'd, of course, like to have more assets under management, but we don't feel that we need it to have influence and have impact. The work that we do, and if you go back and you look at the timeline of, you know, the books that Amy Dominey and Steve Langberg have written, the industry groups that help support the infrastructure of this industry that's been created. So if you think about the principles for responsible investing or USIP or entities that we helped to build and create, but also the work in think tanks. So Steve Leinberg has been involved in um, the uh, investment integration project focused on system level investing but also the Institute for Responsible Investing out of the Harvard Kennedy School. All of these things kind of focus on innovation. So if you think about the leverage and the power that we have for, for influence, um, we really believe that's much greater than our assets under management. Internally, our staff is incredibly intellectual. So our research staff, that is focused solely on environmental and social performance of corporations and issuers is the bulk of our staff. And they are a unique set of individuals from um, attorneys to a native Japanese speaker, a native Italian speaker, proficiency in Spanish and French, and really expertise across those human rights and environmental. Science. So all of that comes together in a group of individuals that are focused on the mission. Now, where does the frustration come in? Well, you know, we believe we do it well, right? We have always, our goal has always been to push to make it the way all investing is done. Um, it would be nice to be the largest since we, I think we're one of the early movers helping to build the industry. But we do see our role as the innovator in the continual pushing of the space and continuing to advance the thinking and the implementation. So it's a little bit of both, but I think, um, you know, we're able to leverage that um, decades of um, depth and breadth of understanding these issues and seeing how they unfold over time to help influence the entire industry. I'm going to get to the positives in a second, but why do you think there aren't more assets under management? 
I thought about that. I think in the early days, we were one of the few choices, right? So if somebody went out searching for an impact investing product or, you know, at the time we called it socially responsible investing, ethical investing, sustainable investing, um, you know, there were just a handful of firms to choose from. So, you know, the money flowed in. But now there's this very huge long list of choices. And while we're recognized as a, as a leader, I think there's a point at which individuals, they're busy, their life is busy, they're trying to simplify. So they just keep all of their money under one roof with one firm and kind of divvy it up there. And that typically equates to some of the largest firms and the organization, you know, in the industry, whether that's a, you know, BlackRock or Fidelity or Charles Schwab account that you manage on your own. So I think you could say it's a little bit of investor complacency. Um, it's a little bit of life being busy and needing some convenient choices and wanting everything under one umbrella. But I think when people really peel back what the product is and really dig into the work that's supporting it, Dami is a very clear choice. And I, I did have one client who, it was an institutional client, and it was probably one of the best compliments we had ever received as a firm. He said, you know, the work that you're doing in your investment choices is incredible. The work that you're doing as owners in engaging corporations is incredible. But what we think about as an asset to Domini, which we don't see as other firms, is we think of you as a public good. You all set the template. You paved the road that the rest of the industry followed. And that, to me, the fact that, you know, they viewed us as the way to show and lead others and considered that an additional advantage to investing with us was a great, great compliment. So for us, I think their their importance is how much of assets under management are focused on sustainability. Because I think to really have true impact, you know, we want to have more than 10 or 20% of total assets out there as a full industry. Um, but I do believe that Dominique should be one of the largest, which would put us somewhere in the, I don't know, 11 to $15 trillion range. So hopefully this time next year, John, we can check in and have another podcast. And <laughs> well, what, one thing that, that you, you say, along with competitive returns, just to be clear, Dominique does not focus on concessionary investing or you, you, you are looking at, at trying to get market level returns and what would the impact, correct? Yeah, so we invest solely in stock bonds that are publicly traded on public markets. So we don't have private equity or venture capital. 
we do think focusing on those large and mid-cap companies that are out there having sizable impact on the world is an important piece of the work that we do. We think about the work that we do as investing in the better half of the investable universe that's out there. And, you know, I should be clear in saying these aren't perfect companies. You're not going to find a perfect large cap publicly traded company. But we're looking for those that on balance have more positives than negatives in addressing their key sustainability challenge. And then using our position as an investor with influence and a voice at the table to create positive change where we see weakness. You mentioned another name a little while ago, Steve Leidenberg, who is a longtime chief investment officer for Domini and, and, and consultant to Domini. Full disclosure, I have worked with Steve on a number of initiatives around systems level investing, and Domini is now exploring what it means to adopt systems level investing as an underlying precept. It's interesting that the system Domini chose to start with is forests, which, you know, people talk about nature and biodiversity and climate change. They don't often talk about forests. Can you explain why and how it's going? Yeah, Steve's incredible, his brilliant and fun, focusing on systems level investing after the global financial crisis, where, you know, if you think about it, how mortgage lending or housing lending was being done here in the U.S. created a global system level meltdown was really a moment that you realize thinking about your portfolio company by company wasn't enough. You really had to think about how we would focus on keeping the system itself healthy. And when I say systems, I mean, you know, financial, societal, and environmental. So we were very eager when we first started. We organized a full, firm-wide initiative. We had everybody participate. We developed 11 areas we were going to focus on. And we learned a lot through that journey. And that was, if you really want to dig in deep on the system, you, you can't pick 11 topics. You have to pick one. So we published the report on the work that we did surrounding those 11 issues and the things we had learned for others to learn from as well. And we said, okay, it's logical here to take a deep dive on one. And we wanted one that was foundational across all asset classes. And nature is fundamental across all industries and all investments. So it's been a long journey, but in picking the one, and we had several that we were looking at pick, we picked forests. Because they're intuitively, almost anyone that you talk to can picture a forest, think about it as a system in itself, yet understand its very close relationship to climate change, right? So it's often an underappreciated tool in climate change. So that to us seems like a great place to start. Underappreciated 
big impact on climate change. So our focus on ecological sustainability, it all tied in. And it's been a journey. We've done a lot. We've published a lot. We've shared a lot. So, so we started off with the creation of our investment beliefs and principles, which included systemic risk and our role as investors. We then adopted forest beliefs and principles, which we published and shared. Uh, we created process and initiative highlights for others to see steps we've taken through our forest project. Um, the just, we actually published a brief on the justification of why forests. You know, why did we pick them? Widely accepted as a major systemic risk relevant to the management of our portfolios. Um, and then we mapped out the systems dynamics of both the positive and negative um, to some dynamic map for forests. We created definitions and goals, and that was a real learning experience for us. When we first started, we were thinking about forests as just intact, pristine forests. But through the work, we realized, well, there are a lot of different kinds of forests. So there are mixed species, planted forests, there's agricultural land, there's green spaces. And each of these have different functions and different values, and different investment impacts. So how would we as investors leverage that position? In intact forests really come down to conservation. Well, that's a somewhat difficult leverage point for investors to participate in, but is critical. So there we can bring our voice to that conservation effort. But then the mixed species planted forests. So uh, for example, um, we do invest in some pulp and paper companies. We do that because papers pretty easy to recycle and we can work with these companies on best practices and management of forests. So through the journey, really forcing us to think about not only forests, but land use. So planet is finite, how land gets divided up and used is relevant. You know, there are many agricultural lands that start off as forests. So thinking about that direct relationship between agricultural lands and forests, best practices, and how corporations and investors can both impact the forest, but also depend on them for their well-being. So we can have a full podcast on just systems level investing and how you go beyond just thinking or engaging one company on one system level issue, but really trying to lay out a map of all of your leverage points and pushing on all of them to have influence more broadly on the system. Does it help you to find traditional investment opportunities in risk return space, not impact, for instance, finding paper companies or agriculture companies or water management companies that are thinking about these things in interesting ways and that then translate into um, straight investment opportunities, whether or not, um, I know Dominic will consider the impact 
but um, does it help you find those sorts of investment opportunities to have this set focus? Yes, absolutely. So just broadly, um, you know, using environmental and social standards when selecting investment is more data and helpful in managing portfolio. We've, you know, seen that through decades, you know, manifesting itself. Um, not only helps you avoid problems, but also identify leaders. But focusing on keeping the foundation that all portfolios rely on for their well-being and sharing that information for others to do as well will help not only our portfolios and our returns, but across all asset classes will be beneficial and will also be beneficial to society. So you're getting there more than just financial return. Um, you're getting, in effect, well-being broadly around the globe. Spoken like a true systems level investor. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you measure impact? It's really the the question of the day for people who are interested in sustainable finance. For us, that's also been an evolution. So impact investors are eager to understand what difference their dollar has made investing with Germany versus a conventional fund. So we provide both quarterly and annual reporting. When we first began our impact reporting, it was really focused on, as I was talking about, as it, in, I'll put it under an umbrella called engagement, which is, you know, you, you're an investor and you can have influence on a corporation. It, so our reports were mostly focused on our engagement activities. But in 2017, you know, we had a breakthrough where we thought, you know, it's important to report out under all of the tools we're putting to work. Now, how do you do that? It has to be a mix of both quantitative and qualitative. You can't just push the portfolio through some sort of matrix and come out with a score on the end. So for years, we've reported out things like what is the carbon impact of our portfolio, the carbon footprint of our portfolio versus the benchmark? And you can see not only that our funds are less carbon intensive, but that it's been improving through the years. Um, this year, we added another quantitative measurement, which was how many of our portfolio companies had committed to um, science-based targets and climate plan so that now we can see the trajectory of that data point going forward. So those are quantitative, but you also need the qualitative. You need to give information and details about the work that we're doing related to, um, if you look at our um, annual report this year, workers' rights and worker dignity, um, racial equity, and environmental justice. So there, it's really a mix of both measurement and details on, I'll call them stories, 
Let me ask you to take a step back from Domini and look at the industry overall. As you noted, when you started, um, socially responsible investing, as it was then called, was a relatively narrow specialty. And now you've got SRI, ESG, impact, even mainstream investors, you mentioned, you know, people wanting to keep their money in one shop. BlackRock, the largest of the large, talks all the time about stewardship engagement in the ESG. How do you think investing as a discipline has changed, is changing, and what do you see the future as? The world is changing because I think individuals, um, institutional investors are increasingly recognizing that the issues that we're focused on and the matters of interest are unavoidable. So climate change, diversity, biodiversity. I think back in the 80s or 90s, people thought, oh, it's okay, it'll go away, just sweep it under the carpet. But now it's clear, they cannot. There's a changing definition of what corporations need to do, what responsibilities they have, and what they need to report out on. So where do we go from here? You know, I think we're going to see increased regulation. We're seeing it both here in the U.S. as well as abroad, more globally. We're seeing global stock markets that are adopting listing standards tied to environmental and social criteria. Um, there's discussion about carbon tax. We see and I think are very promised, you know, see a lot of promise in subsidies. If you look here in the U.S., the Inflation Reduction Act to um, promote sustainability and renewable energy. So we see a lot in the future that's going to continue to send the message that addressing these issues are unavoidable. Investors, whether they're you know, the portfolio managers or the retail investor um, will be well served to pay attention to these matters and make sure their portfolios aligned with where the future will be moving. What's exciting to you right now? What are you passionate about and why? So I'm definitely passionate about forest, nature, and biodiversity. And then, of course, for personal reasons, I'm also passionate about healthcare the quality of service and treatments that are available. Let's finish with some short questions and answers. How do you relax? I go to the beach. I love the beach. It's <laughs> my happy place. It, I could be there by myself. I could be there with a crowd of 20 people. It's the only place in the world where you can go sit in your chair, do nothing. And that's actually what the agenda for the day is, to go sit and do nothing. <laughs> is there a particular beach? Yeah, so we have a home in New Jersey, and that is our beachy place. Jersey Shore family. Jersey Shore, gotta love it. And <laughs> I grew up, and I was always a, um, a Long Island girl, so that's a lot for me to say that. <laughs> I, I would ask what music you listen to, but I'm afraid I wouldn't get the obvious Jersey answers. But what sort of music do you listen to? <laughs> So I uh, definitely, it's uh, the Jersey Shore, 70s and 80s mix. Um, actually listen to a lot of music that my parents listened to, to bring good memories. But uh, my favorite, if I'm just picking one artist to play, is Jack Johnson. 
that's West Coast of the Hawaii Shore, not not Jersey Shore. But okay. that's right. No, it was the seventies, eighties mix that was thrown it into the Jersey Shore. <laughs> what are you reading right now? So I am reading um, the Mini Forest Revolution by Hannah Lewis. It's about a Milwaukee method of rapidly rewilding the world. So growing mini forests that are about the size of a football field um, in multiple places around the world. It's quite fascinating, including Cambridge, Massachusetts. So not too far from here. You know, there's a, a plan that has gone around forever about green rooftops for mm-hmm. urban areas. Um, I remember when I worked for the city of New York in the 80s and 90s, it was being discussed for the city of New York. Is that included in the book? It That is the concept of these small green spaces, but the Mialaki Forest is really focused on, you know, natural, what what's native to that area. And it if you focus on what's native to that area and you plant it very densely, the amount of time that the forest takes to become like a truly independent ecosystem is greatly compressed. So in five years, you can have a fully functioning small forest, but there is a lot of work that goes into it up front about what plants are native and it's interesting to see how that unfolds and how they determine that. Often they'll go back to, you know, older pictures and um, research. It, it's really fascinating. So, yeah, hopefully we'll have one in New York soon. But it's interesting you talk about the rooftop green spaces because that is one of the kind of forest areas that we defined was green spaces both public and private spaces. And yesterday when I was walking home from the office, I saw a truck for a company that was an expert in rooftop green spaces. So apparently it's a little boutique industry that's growing. So there's some hope. I'm definitely noticing more of them in New York City. And, you know, it helps that that adds to you know, some of the climate change solution. It's not the solution, but it definitely helps. If you could be on vacation right now, not on the Jersey Shore, <laughs> uh, where would you okay. go? So I think at this point, I would say one of those beautiful eco lodges in, you know, Costa Rica or Tahiti or... Um, meaning I always see those beautiful blue ocean scenes with the little huts on them with no air conditioning and just organic food. Um, that is absolutely where I would transport myself. Last question. If you could magically tell everyone in the world one thing, what would you tell them? Yeah, wow. That feels like a huge responsibility. So I feel like I have to go big, right? You've got this one magical chance. So I'm going to say, like, go big or go home. The message I'd want to send is kick the fossil fuel addiction. We are killing the planet and we must find a solution. It's time to stop disagreeing on how we're going to do that and get it done because time is running out. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Outside In with John Lukumnik with our special guest, Carol Leibel. Uh, Carol is one of the OGs of the socially investing, sustainable investing world um, and continues uh, to provide great thought leadership at Domini, particularly around issues of forests, biodiversity, and climate change. Carol, thanks so much. Thank you, John. Appreciate your time. You've been listening to Spark Network's Outside In with John Lukonik, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals. Outside In is produced by Connor Ohingasa, John Lukonik executive producer. It is available from Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review, follow us on social media. Thanks much for listening.